1: He nā, e purangi tēnei nā te natereo irirangi o Namihi nui, I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Hour Changing World podcast from RNZ. When it comes to eating, the experience is about so much more than just the food in front of you. There are many factors influencing how the food tastes and how it makes you feel. And trying to make sense of all of this is what Nazima Hamid does. Nazima is a professor of food science at Auckland University of Technology and I'm off to meet her in the sensory lab, which is not your usual university laboratory.
0: We get people to eat here, so it's one of the few labs in food science where you are allowed to eat in the labs. In fact,
1: it's actively encouraged, so it's got a kitchen area. So that's where we get the food preparation done. So what kind of sub food do you prepare in there? All sorts? All sorts. What, whatever you can get in the supermarket, we can cook it here. OK, and then you've got a table where people can sit
0: around and eat. You've got some computers, you've got some fridges. You'll be surprised, this is not where they do the actual eating. So we, we trained some of our panellists here, and they do their
1: eating in individualised booths. So you better paint me a picture of what it is that you actually do. Like, tell me about food and sensory testing.
0: A lot of the job that food scientists do is to work in a company and we develop foods. Before we get those foods to the supermarket, we need to do some sort of sensory testing. And that's why we get people to taste and see if they like the food, what sensory properties they find uh, acceptable or not acceptable, so you can do some modifications in the lab. So there's a lot of things going on before that food arrives on the supermarket shelves.
1: And when you talk about senses, you're talking about our our standard senses, how we smell, how we taste, how we see. Yes, so we actually use all our five
0: senses. We often associate eating with the sense of taste. We also eat with our eyes. If you eat crisp, think about it. It's not just what you look, but what you hear.
1: Ah, sound as well.
0: Yes. And if you think about texture, there's a lot of things going on in terms of texture as well. When, when you touch, um, you feel an apple, for example, you know, or, or you feel uh, the skin of an avocado. Or, you know, that, That's all important, how firm the fruit is. So we do use our
1: tactile senses as well when we evaluate food. So you have to train people to be your sensors, to be your tasters, is that what you do? Yes.
0: So we have two kinds of panellists that that can participate in the experiments here. One is consumer testing, where we assess uh, whether people like the food or not. And with those kind of panellists, we would use consumer panellists. So they would be untrained. But uh, the only criteria is that They are consumers of the food product, so that's the only criteria with consumer panelists. However, when you have people who are trained and you want to bring them on as panelists, you are looking at more complex attributes of the food. So, why do people like the food? It's very, you know, it's related to the taste, the smell. And those two contribute to flavour. And so we need to train people who are trained panellists and that would take maybe 20, 30, 100 hours of training before they can evaluate the specific attributes of food. So, in short, two kinds of panellists. One, the consumer,
1: and one, the trained panellist. And so you said they're not actually doing their eating in here. No. We do the training here.
0: And we would serve the food
1: through little boots here. Ah, oh, you just slid open a little hatch in the yeah, wall. Yeah,
0: a hatch in the wall. So we would pass them the food through this. It's like hatch. an old-fashioned servery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the panelists in there would not know what's happening here because we do not want any bias when they are evaluating the food. This is where the panelists are seated and they have a computer right in front of them.
1: They look like student cubby holes.
0: Yes, yes. Because you do not want them to be distracted. You do not want conversations. And so on the screen, they would assess the attributes that we want them to. And you can see that we have different lighting as well. It can either be white or red. Why the difference? When we want them to concentrate on just the flavour, we would just use red light because we do not want the colour of the food to influence their flavour perception. So say if you've got wine and they are, you know, you've made it from different grapes and you may find that the hue is quite different from one, one sample to another. So you don't want them to assess it in terms of appearance, but just flavour. So then you would use something like a red light. So once you're completely under red light, you cannot tell what it looks like so that's what we we call masking masking the color of food because we eat with our eyes if we see something dark we associate it with a stronger flavor so what we want them to do is just concentrate on the sense of taste smell and that's what we
1: evaluate flavor you talked about them having to assess things objectively and that must be quite important because you're not asking them to go Yum, I like this, or no, I don't like it. Are you asking them more specific questions about, you know, what's the level of saltiness? Does this taste buttery enough? Is it crunchy enough? Those
0: kind of questions? Correct, yes. So we would have line scales, and uh, they would be anchored none to extreme. And you would have an attribute, say, for example, smoky. So they would rate the intensity of that attribute, and that's why it becomes quantitative. Even liking. We do not just ask them to say how much they like. They would have a scale, and uh, that's how uh, the studies in sensory science uh, actually derive from the psychophysics law of uh, psychology. So a lot of the work that we do very much originated
1: from psychology, the skills
0: that we use.
1: Can anyone be a panellist, or are you looking for people with particular kinds of attributes? Before we train them, we would
0: carry out screening tests. We also indirectly look at their personality. All right. So if you have a trained panel and you have a very dominant person, it is really difficult because this is group work, but maybe about 20%, you know, know, they can be very good at differentiating the different flavors. But if they don't have the right personality and attitude, it will not work. Because, remember, we don't have instruments. People, the panelists, are our instruments in sensory
1: science. Could you do this with instruments, do you think? Or do you think you have to be as intelligent and nuanced as a person to do it? Until now, there are no
0: instruments that can describe flavour. You can identify flavour compounds running chromatography, but no instruments can replace the human nose and the and a person's ability to describe food and remember we we are marketing all this food to consumers to people we need to know what they think about it yeah so no instruments will be able to replace a human panel
1: doesn't matter what culture your panelists come from i'm just wondering how much of the way we assess food is cultural with the the different kinds of food we might be brought up with
0: yes so that's really really interesting it depends on the kind of food so before they come and assess the food we've got to make sure one they consume the food it's no use carrying out sensory testing of cheese when the culture is you don't eat cheese You have to find people who have been here long enough and they have consumed the cheese to actually assess it. So it's not like you get into being a panellist straight away. There are a lot of processes before you get invited to a lab like this.
1: I've heard of people who are super tasters. So are are there some people who just would not be eligible for... Being a panelist, just because they are too sensitive to strong food tastes?
0: So, we would do a prop test, a propyl thiouracil test, to check if they are super tasters. And this compound is quite bitter. But to many of us, we won't be able to sense its bitterness. It's just a small portion of the population. So, this is an important test because if you have a super taster here, he or she will be so sensitive and that person would be an outlier. So that's one. Surprisingly, if you're evaluating texture, we also need to make sure they have
1: their own teeth. Is that because you actually use the whole of the inside of your mouth?
0: Correct, yeah, because it's tactile. So if you have dentures, you won't have that same experience as someone eating that food with their own teeth.
1: Gosh, there's a lot of things to consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there an age cut off for your participants as well? And I'm thinking of older people I know who say that their ability, for instance, to smell food and taste food changes as they get older.
0: That's true. So it depends on what food you're testing. If you're testing a food product that's uh, targeted to the elderly, then you would have the elderly people. And so all kinds of food are targeted to different segments of the population. Uh, you You might have a younger population you know for for this particular stack product if you give it to someone like me you know I might say i 'm mm, not going for it you know I want something healthy
1: so it 's also depends on the demographics so the food products that you test in here are these food products that manufacturers are looking to introduce, or are these things that perhaps you might be coming up as a as a good diet, say for an older person who you know, needs some help maintaining weight? the university I do
0: anything, so I do a lot of research type of sensory testing and my interest is how sound affects the flavour perception of food.
1: This is about the sound of the environment, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but uh, not only that, uh, when I first started my research here it was on music
1: Tell me about it. So, that.
0: all right. There's been a lot of research on sound, but mainly food sounds, crispiness of food, the sound of chewing. Then there was a group at University of Oxford where they associated uh, piano with perception of sweet, trombone as being associated with the perception of bitterness, and there was this group in the US and they they looked at how could music affect sensory perception of emotional and non-emotional food. And so the work that we started at AUT used that as a basis. However, what we found was it's not the type of music that influenced the perception of food. So You know, don't go and put on Mozart and think your food is going to taste better. The question is, do you like Mozart?
1: Ah, so it's the music that you like.
0: Correct. So we were the first group that found that it was not the type of music. It was how much you like the music. And that is when I worked with a psychologist who specializes in psychoacoustics. And we came up with the idea that we hypothesized that it was really how much you like the music that affected your perception of food. And that's what we found in our first study, that the valence of music.
1: The valence.
0: Valence is liking. Okay. So, yeah. Liking of music is what influenced pleasantness of the chocolate gelates that we, we tested out.
1: Okay, so you, your test food was chocolate gelati? Yes. Delicious, and then you played people different kinds of music?
0: Correct. So we had seven or nine music genres. And so they rated their liking for the music, and we picked the most liked, the disliked, and music that was somewhere in the middle, yeah, that they neither liked nor disliked. And when we played them that music, and it's quite interesting, my psychologist friend loves heavy metal.
1: I'm raising my eyebrows, but yeah, sure. (laughs)
0: Some people like it. Yeah, some people like it. So what we did was we didn't get them to hear the same piece of music. What we got them to hear is, one, the music they liked, the music they disliked, and looked at how they evaluated the chocolate gelati.
1: So they were then evaluating it just on the standard things you would evaluate a chocolate gelati on?
0: Yes, yes. So we found that in our first paper, we found that pleasantness was affected. Later on, we looked at the flavour, how the flavour changed. So if you think about it, the reason why the other researchers didn't find such a significant result is because when you hear music you hear it over a period of time. You have to also evaluate food over a period of time. So when, when we do sensory testing, it's usually static. So you put the food in your mouth and you evaluate for crispiness. And it worked really well with us because we played the music over time and we could see how the changes in flavour... Changed over time, and that was really exciting when we found that if you listen to dislike music and you had milky, chocolate, sweet, vanilla, the changes in flavor were changing, although the ice cream was the same. So, in fact, we found that with dislike music, it was perceived as being more dominantly bitter. And with light music, that same ice cream was dominantly sweet.
1: So in my case, it would be if I was listening to classical music, I'd probably say this ice cream is deliciously sweet. I'm listening to heavy rock, which I hate. Oh, this is is quite bitter, this ice cream.
0: Yeah, and that's why panellists come out from that room and think that we serve them different ice creams.
1: Really? It was bad. Yes, that.
0: yes, yes. That was one of the comments that we got. They said, Why did that ice cream taste so bad? And I like the other one, you know, that was sweet and creamy. And this was interesting because that got us thinking, Why is this happening? And because I work with a psychologist, we looked at emotions emotions evoked by the music and we found a very strong correlation. The emotions evoked when you are listening to your like music is what was changing your perception of flavour.
1: So you started with music, you went down a path with music for a while. Yes. And then your research has turned a corner?
0: Yes, so we, we could see the effects of music. So we found what's happening. So then the next thing was sound. If you think about it, whenever we eat now, we never eat in silence. We're eating when we're on the road. We're eating in a cafe. There are always sounds. And uh, we're eating with our headphones on. Yeah? So uh, the next study looked at how different Environments affected your flavour perception of ice cream.
1: Great. Can we talk about that and just pop out and just go for a little walk? Because I think you did the testing in yes, some you did. different environments that are actually, there's examples of them not far away. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Far. Okay. It's...
1: So we're oh. leaving the sensory lab, heading into slightly less controlled conditions. <laughs> Out onto Simon Street, which is a pretty well known Auckland street. Yes. And there's a bus pulling away at the bus stop. Yes. So, this is where we did the experiment.
0: So, we got the people seated here eating ice cream. And of course, we wanted this during the time where it's the busiest, where we had a lot of buses. Just listen, it's a lot more noisier here. Yeah. You, You hear the cars, you hear the buses. And you get people eating ice cream exactly out here. So what we did was we, we set it up and uh, we we got them to evaluate sensory perception of chocolate gelati over time. Yeah.
1: And what did they think of gelati when eaten at a bus stop?
0: You'll be surprised. It's more bitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the emotions were interesting. There were a lot of negative emotions associated with eating in this environment
1: Even though it was a really nice chocolate gelati Yeah,
0: so it was the environment probably that was becoming more dominant and so that influenced their flavour perception of the ice cream We also measured their electrophysiological responses so what happened to their heart rate what happened to their skin conductance, because Emotions can be measured objectively using a scale, but your body physiologically is also reacting. It's also evoking that emotion, and so we looked into that sort of measures as well.
1: And what happened to people's heart
0: rates and skin conductance? That's a good one. So there were significant differences in the different environments, and so we knew for sure that emotions played a big role.
1: So here at the bus stop, people, what manifested, just being more stressed in general? Yes. Yes. So, you know, we probably need to rethink where we eat. So I'm, I was feeling a bit sorry for that cafe then, which has tables outside at a bus stop. Yeah. People probably don't like their food as much as if, if they yeah. ate it inside or in a, in a park or somewhere. So... A bus stop was one environment for you. What were the other ones? Yeah, we'll be walking there shortly. OK, we'll head away from the bus stop. Yes. So have you tried experiments, like you've used music, have you also done experiments playing, I don't know, lovely sounds of nature, bird calls We've and things? We've
0: done that, yes.
1: And that made people think that the food was sweeter and creamier? yes.
0: Yes. So what we did was we had a cafe background sound, and we had birds sounds playing at the back, and we had a sound of a drone as well. We overlaid one cafe with, with a drone uh, sound, and uh, that was that wasn't good. Bitter of chocolate again. Yes, bitter chocolate again. Yeah. So you can change the experiences people have by maybe having sounds, pleasant sounds in the background not just music.
1: This is sound to me like you really need to pick your cafe as to whether they play the kind of music you like and whether they're near a park and not a bus stop.
0: Yeah, you can even (laughs) play park sounds in the cafe if you wanted to (laughs) because that's what we did. And you can get quite interesting results playing different sounds and that's why I'm now doing more sounds and looking at the combination of sound and music. So that's another... PhD you know work that we are carrying out at AUT.
1: So it's a cafe that's set back from the road. So we had a table
0: just over there and we got them to eat the chocolate
1: gelati. So there's a radio playing and you can hear people talking at different tables. Mm. What did they reckon about the chocolate in here? It was sweet.
0: It was OK. Yeah, the flavour was good. So this is one of the few places where the ice cream tasted good <laughs> or perceived to have uh, positive sensory attributes. So what we did in our pilot studies is to make sure uh, how people felt in those different environments before they even tasted food. So we wanted to make sure they are different because it's no use if you're having the same emotions. Yeah, like when we did the bus stop, we, we found that people were very stressed and they came up with, you know, disgust, anger, tense. We knew people were feeling different in those environments. And then that's how we piloted which places we should select for, for the actual eating experiment. So
1: how many people do you put through these experiments? 50, 60 people. Oh, so quite a few. Yeah. yeah.
0: So in summer, this is really nice. You feel like you're in a treehouse (laughs) because you have the trees outside.
1: Yeah, so this is probably the closest that AUT has to a, almost a nature space because, as you say, it's got those trees. Yeah. They're leafless at the moment, but when they're in flower, you would be surrounded by greenery. Yeah, yeah. And it's people quite found a- the chocolate ice cream sweet and creamy here? Yes,
0: but sweeter in the cafe. There are differences, but they are more similar than the bus stop condition or even the lab condition. So you've got to rethink about where you carry out sensory testing because when you're measuring flavour, the different environments will influence the flavour of food. And so the next thing that people are researching is maybe use VR, get them in different immersive environments. And so there, there are a lot of research going into that now and uh, I'm thinking about that sort of research as well because we can see that just putting them in different environments they get different flavor perception and you have to measure the true perception of flavor by consumers by people who eat their food and you can see that you know the environment is making such a big difference on how they perceive the food yeah so i'm looking at satiety as well
1: so, so satiety is that feeling of fullness, fullness and satisfaction.
0: Yeah, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So if you think about it, that's a big area to to look into. It's not just flavor. How much you eat. You know, if you eat in front of the TV, you eat more, because you know your focus is on something else. Uh, you might find that different environments may affect satiety. And not just flavour, because if it's affecting flavour, it's affecting a lot of other things, how much you eat because you are not concentrating on the food. You know, which which is dominant, the food or the environment? What do you hear? These are all influencing your perception of food.
1: Thanks, Nazima. Nazima Hamid is a professor of food science at Auckland University of Technology. I'm Alison Balance in this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ, first aired on the 13th of August 2020. You can listen again and find photos at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. We have a free weekly email newsletter, and you can find the subscription link at the bottom of the webpage. That website again, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. While you're down there you'll find various Our Changing World podcast collections, including Voices from Antarctica, Voice of the Iceberg, and Voice of the Kākāpō. I highly recommend doing a search for RNZ on your podcast app, as there is a bonanza of new RNZ podcasts and episodes at the moment. Caucus, Black Sheep, Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower and Healthier Hoax, The Unthinkable, and Getting Better, A Year in the Life of a Māori Medical Student – those should all keep your ears busy for quite a while. If you'd like to get in touch or follow along, we're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Stay safe and catch you next time. mate